Welcome to episode 6 of Sharing Life Lessons. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories. Because stories inspire, stories teach and stories heal. At the onset of this episode, I would like to provide my listeners with some content warning. Please note that this episode contains concepts and words that may not be appropriate for very young children. I will leave it to the parents to screen and decide um, what age children should listen to this, but this episode is also highly recommended for high school students as well as young adults. Right off the bat, I want to share some statistics with my listeners, and the source for these statistics is the National Institute of Mental Health in the U.S. In 2017, there was an estimated 46.6 million adults aged 18 or older in the U.S. who suffered from AMI, and AMI is any mental illness. This number represented 18.9% of all U.S. adults, which pretty much is one in every five adults. The prevalence of AMI was higher among women at 22.3% versus men at 15.1%. Of the adults, the young adults aged 18 to 25 years had the highest prevalence of AMI at 25.8% compared to those over 50 at 13.8%. Here's what is not a very happy statistic. Only 466 Of the 46.6 million adults that had AMI, only 42.6% received mental health services. So less than half received the mental health services that they deserved. Now I want to ask you, are you ready for this? My next statistic is staggering. An estimated 49.5% of adolescents age 13 to 18 have AMI. And this number is only increasing, which is nearly half of every kid aged 13 to 18 years, which is one in two kids. So if you have two children in your house, according to these statistics, one of them is suffering from AMI, which is any mental illness. And because mental illness is so prevalent, I really wanted to dedicate an episode to it, but knew no one who would publicly talk about their journey through their own mental illness. And so I took the strong desire of mine of running an episode on this topic and I put it out to the universe. And then I met Nikki. Now it's a whole different story as to how I met her. Very unusual story. But it should truly be seen as a story of ask and you shall get. Nikki's parents migrated from China. Nikki was born in California. She moved to New Jersey when she was around nine years old. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Can you please tell us something about yourself? Hey, uh, my name is Nikki Depp. I'm 25 years old. Um, I like to make music in my spare time, and I feel like uh, I'm a lost soul on Earth School. Nikki, you and I just out of the blue started talking to each other at a table at Whole Foods uh, because I wanted to get your input on which artwork to choose for my podcast. And then you asked me what the podcast was about. And I told you, and then you said you wanted to start a podcast on mental illness. And I said, go for it. And I I will, I will help you. But then 
it clicked and I said, would you like to be my guest um, and talk about mental illness on my podcast? And you excitedly agreed. And I remember you told me that you want to go about it unfiltered because you want to be able to help people understand if they have mental illness but don't know it, then they can figure it out from your story. And also you want to help them be able to do something about it. So bravo for agreeing to do this. Uh, I am thrilled. Nikki, tell us, when was the first time that you figured out that you were suffering through mental illness and how did that feel? Back then when I uh, felt started feeling this way with mental illness, uh, there really wasn't a terminology. Like nowadays, nowadays, like if you bully someone, you call someone fat in school, you get expelled, right? They take it really serious. Um, you say you have mental health issues, you know, they, they have to take it serious nowadays. Back then, um, when I first discovered I had something wrong with me, it wasn't taken seriously. They would call you like, just grow up or just man, whatever they say. It's, you know, ignorant stuff. So I was about um, 11 years old. I was in the sixth grade. Um, when I first started feeling, that was honestly when I first like, got really truly suicidal. And I didn't understand it because I'm very young. But from I, from when I was a little kid, I've always thought about death, which I thought was kind of strange. But I thought maybe that was normal. Maybe everybody thinks about it like that. And I always, I was just like a dark kid. Like I just felt like I wasn't, it sounds strange, but I felt like I wasn't from here. I just felt like immediately misunderstood. Like I knew I was a black sheep of the family. You know, there's a lot of things like wrong with my head. And I think it stems from uh, the basis of everything that causes people to be toxic, which is family, family trauma, just trauma. And between, you know, a lot of domestic violence, a lot of, um, I grew up alone basically because everyone was working all the time. We were poor and like I would go to public school and get bullied. And it was just, it was just like, I was just navigating through earth, you know what I'm saying? Earth and life. And I didn't really have any guidance growing up. And I think that has a, um, a big part of like why I felt so alone, why I felt like at, at the point of 11 years old, like it's, it, I don't want to be here anymore, you know? I feel like I need to uh, draw out key concepts and keywords that Nikki is talking to us about just in case it helps anyone form conclusions that they need to. Um, so up until now, I heard Nikki say she was lonely, that she got no guidance from her family. So Nikki, tell us, is there uh, some, do you, do you feel like you know the root cause of your mental illness? Um, so I believe, uh, the core of everything that started, it has to begin with, um, my childhood as it does for most people, I'm assuming, um, you know, growing up for my life personally, uh, you know, I didn't actually know until the age of 21, this is real, that, uh, domestic violence wasn't normal in relationships. Like my foundation, my view of love was so distorted growing up. It, I, I honestly thought if you yelled at somebody, if you hit them, it's okay, you stay, you know, and these things are not normal. There's people out there who lose their life over domestic violence. And it's, it's crazy that it took me till 21 to realize that. And, you know, the core of it, I feel, you know, like I said, I grew up alone, always by myself, because people were busy, they were working, I never really saw my mom. And, you know, one, one event, I feel like that church began to, um, start to 
bring some dark stuff in my head was when I was younger, I feel like you're not supposed to remember things before the age of five. Most people don't, or they have happy memories. But I have a very vivid image of domestic violence and altercation between my biological mother and biological father. And there's nothing I could do about it. Now, most people, when, you know, things like that happen, you would think, okay, well, this is still my child. I can lean on this person. This is the one thing that's going to keep me going. However, the way my biological mother is structured, uh, she in turn manifested what happened to her and took it out onto me. So a lot of the times I think that's where I began to blame myself. Self-hatred began. And, you know, anything that goes wrong, it's my fault. I deserve to be beaten because it was a normal spanking. It was, she denies it now, but uh, she, she beat me up like pretty bad. And like, I didn't understand it. If I understood why she was doing it, you know, cause at a young age, you're just getting beat up. You're just like, what is going on? So if I, if I truly understand it, then maybe I could empathize with her, but you know, you're at, you're at a young age, you're, your brain's still developing, you don't know what's going on. So I took that as, I read it as, it must be my fault, you know, because of my biological father. I'm his kid, so I deserve this or whatever. And then I just started hating myself and hating myself. And the more I felt time alone, I just felt like I was falling into like a, like a black hole, like a corner, you know, I just was being cornered and just alone, more and more isolated. Like, like just, I don't know, in the abyss. (laughs) Some more key concepts and keywords. Exposure to domestic violence. Self-guilt. Self-hatred. Felt more and more isolated. So Nikki, you mentioned two ages here. You said you were suicidal by age 11 because of all the domestic violence that you saw and then was manifested on you. And then you also said um, by age 23 and that you told me is that you t- took things in your own hands because you knew it, you couldn't go on like this forever. What was going on between those two ages? It's a good 12 years. How was your life in those 12 years? From the age of 11 up until 23, which is a huge gap, I coped in like uh, – the mo- not the best ways, but I know I, I feel like a lot of people have can relate to the way I cope, and um, you know this is just the way I did it. Everybody's different. I am not recommending this at all, but this is just what I did to get through. So from middle school up until high school, um, I had to I had to figure out a way to get out of my head psychologically because I was trapped. I was still legally obliged to live under the household of that was causing me to go crazy, you know, um, and, you know, at a young age at middle school and stuff, you can't really, you're not being promiscuous. You're not, you know, you're not doing drugs. It's not common, at least at that point, I wasn't looking for it. And, um, I wasn't that type of person that would eat my feelings out because I didn't have an appetite at the time. So two ways it, uh, my pain manifested itself. Um, I had an eating disorder, so I would stop eating. It was something I could control because I hated myself. That's a reminder. And I felt alone. So it, was, it didn't matter because it was easy to not take care of myself because no one else was doing it for me. And the other way that uh, I coped was, um, you know, I would actually physically cut myself, which sounds bizarre. But, um, you know, sometimes I, 
when you cut yourself and you're all pent up from like anger and emotion, when you cut yourself and you start bleeding, it releases something in your brain, like endorphins, kind of like a runner's high. And there's like a physical release. But, you know, I don't recommend that, obviously, because any vice that you choose, like whether it's cutting yourself or drugs or being promiscuous or relationships, anything outside of yourself, it's you're going to notice eventually it's it's emptiness. It's a bottomless pit because you're just distracting yourself. You're not facing your problems head on. And it took me a long, long time because after the cutting thing stopped working, I was in high school. And my focus and my world and universe became relationships. You know, I made them the center of my universe. But what I didn't realize was this. When you make somebody or something outside of your own self, your everything, you don't realize that what happens if that person or thing disappears? What You're going to lose your mind, right? But you're so focused on in the moment of taking yourself outside of your pain, anything outside of your own head, outside of your own body. And I fell for it (laughs) pretty badly. So I did that up until 19. And at 19, that's when, you know, I got, I was legal. And at that point, um, I was still living under the household and their new way of messing with me was, you know, kicking me out on and off. So from 19, I was homeless on and off. Um, growing up, I was very straight edge, meaning, I was really against alcohol, smoking cigarettes, uh, drugs, and things of that nature. But once again, like from 11 to 19, I was throughout all the distractions, I was very suicidal still. I would make attempts pretty frequently. And uh, so, you know, whatever friends that were left over, they would try to help me. And this one friend uh, came into my life uh, during another night I had attempted. And he was basically trying to get me to enjoy life. I don't think he had ill intentions. I don't think he was trying to, you know, make me into something that I didn't even know was capable inside of me, which is an addict. And, um, because I didn't, there's information that's missing from my family back, you know, I was talking about my biological father and all these things, you know, he's an addict. I didn't know that depression ran on my side, my mother's side of the family. They don't talk about it. In our culture, whatever it is, in actually modern day culture, no one talks about it. They just ignore it. And the fact is you have to bring it up because it gives the person, the child, whoever, a better understanding of like, okay, this is genetic or something. You don't just grow up thinking like there's something wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me, you know? So um, I didn't know that I had an addictive personality. I didn't know I had these disorders that were developing from all the trauma of growing up. So um, basically I you know, said, whatever, I'm just going to try anything at this point. I don't care anymore. So from the age of 19, probably up until like 23, 24, um, I started, my vices were drugs. Um, Again, I don't recommend that, uh, but I'm not going to judge anyone who does or doesn't. All I'm saying is, once again, it was another distraction that kept me going for five years. And I realized it was empty as well. Some more keywords. Eating disorder, cutting physically for emotional release, suicidal. And Nikki, what you said about nobody talks about it, especially if it runs in the family, is so very true. It is so easy for families to talk about physical ailments that uh, are hereditary in their family, such as, say, diabetes. Um, So let's go get this checked. Make sure your cholesterol doesn't go up too high. Um, and make sure that your sugar intake is low is what the parents will always tell their kids. Or even 
something as deadly as cancer. That is also more easily talked about. But I don't think that mental illnesses are ever discussed in the family, um, such as depression runs in our family. Let's make sure you're okay. And if you're not okay, let's see how you can cope. These are the things that we really need to open up as a society um, and really speak about. So going back to you, Nikki, you went through some very intense 12 years. And although you had temporary happiness through all of these um, distractions, you never really had the real happiness that uh, a young person needs to have whilst growing up. Why, why did you finally think of taking matters into your own hands and changing yourself? So um, I was running through, I guess, a good portion of my young life, uh, basically distracting myself with these vices. And like I said, um, I don't recommend it, but everyone's going to do what they're going to do anyway. I would never judge anyone. And if anyone is going through these things, doing drugs, cutting, whatever your choice of uh, distraction may be, you could always reach out to me and I could talk to you about it because I've lived through it. But what I'm trying to say to anyone that hears this is that, you know, anything outside of yourself, whether it's drugs, sex, relationships, food, shopping, any type of stimulation outside of yourself, it is a distraction. It's basically you got a brick wall in front of you, right? And you're running full speed, like 120 miles an hour towards this brick wall. In your head, because you're feeling good in the moment through these distractions, it feels like you're invincible, like you're going to like run through that brick wall, like, like, you know, like Hulk style or whatever. But what you know, the laws of physics and reality is that you're going to run smack into the brick wall and give yourself a concussion. And that's basically what all these vices are. That's what I realize about drugs and relationships. It's a bottomless pit because I, I, I've been in experiences where, you know, I got super high all the time and the best high ever, the best relationship ever, you know, but at some point, you know, when the distraction fades, when that love high, your new relationship fades, when the actual high fades, when you're when you just bought something new and shiny and that that shopping high fades, whatever it is that fades, the voices in your head, the trauma, everything that you're running from that you're distracting from, it gets loud again. The moment that you are not being distracted or stimulated outside of your body. And that's why it's a temporary fix. So you know, I started to realize like, hey, like I would feel good for this amount of time and then it'd come back and then I'd feel good about, you know, pick a different vice and feel good for this amount of time. And then again, the voices would come back. It was just so chaotic and loud in there that like it's almost to the point where sometimes I would have to like cover my head and scream, just like make it stop, which sounds, you know, intense. But that's what I was doing because I was spending so much time running away from what was going on from the noises instead of trying to deal with it. And at that point, I realized whatever I was doing is not working and either I really have to sit down and rethink my life and change or I'm going to continue this miserable life forever until I die or something like that. Some more key concepts. Any stimulation outside of yourself is a distraction, not the solution. All highs, no matter what they are, are temporary fixes and noises come back. And finally, I kept running away from the noises rather than dealing with it. So Nikki, tell us what you finally did to deal with it. 
what changes were made and what really worked for you? It all began with, um, you know, gaining more self-awareness. Where I got that from was ironically, uh, a childhood friend of mine had uh, contacted me out of the blue. Um, During this time period, I had made that decision to take the baby steps of uh, improving my life. So basically I stopped dating. I isolated myself and but instead of distracting myself, it wasn't like, oh, let me binge Netflix or something. I actually spent a lot of time working on myself. I was watching personal development videos on YouTube. I was um, reading a lot of like holistic, uh, spiritual like accounts that talk about, that teach you how to deal with your inner child, nurture it and face traumas and stuff like that. So it was, it was a lot of work. They call it shadow work, journaling, things like that. I started to build a routine. Um meditating, uh, stretching for 10 minutes, making my bed, just doing something, adding uh, responsibility, chores. A lot of the journaling helped me to deal with uh, self-accountability because I did go through a long time where I was blaming everyone for the quality of my life. When you, me, we all have complete control of our lives. Um, So I was doing that. And actually, I was recommended the book. I Highly recommend everybody picks up this copy. It's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, he also has another book called A New Earth. And it's also he speaks with Oprah. And like that really expanded my mind of just mindset. Because mindset is what changes everything, you know. So that's what got me going and started really – I started – I dove in head first. Like I just went straight into it. And I spent – so much time alone and you know all this stuff you know it's easier said than done you know you the whole point of it is to face whatever is bothering you you wouldn't feel the need to distract yourself if you were if you had inner peace and if you had inner joy not just happiness happiness is temporary it comes and goes joy is permanent you know because you have inner peace and in order to reach that you have to deal with whatever is bothering you past present whatever it might be and So that's what self-work is. You have to deal with it and do that. So if it means crying for six months nonstop and just going through it, go through it. You have to go through it. You have to face it. Otherwise, you cannot grow and come out of it and learn from it and get stronger from it. You know, you can't let that stuff consume you. And the faster you face it and you stop running away from it, you're going to see that the quality of your life will improve. Your mindset will get better and stronger. And then you you build the self-awareness and then you start to be able to catch yourself when you start going back to these dark places. And, And that's coming from somebody that was so blinded and drowning in that world of just distraction, 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 that it took me like just six to eight months of just really just proper self-work, as difficult as it was every day, I went through it. I cried through it. I laughed through it. You know, I revisited painful memories. I stopped suppressing. I wrote it down. If you don't have someone to talk to, like I said, you could contact me. You could contact maybe a professional. It's good to, you know, talk to a therapist and get it out. Somebody that's going to help you, um, you know, sort through your mind and feelings because, you know, some things are very emotional and it's very easy to be reactive than observant. I hope that the keywords that I have been extracting so far uh, from what Nikki is presenting is at least helping some of the listeners to reconcile in their minds as to whether uh, they are experiencing any of these symptoms or if they have seen these symptoms in uh, any of their family members. And if they have, then maybe there is something that they need to do about it. 
Nikki, please share your overall life lesson with us. So um, my overall life lesson to everything that I've experienced and gone through in life is essentially that self-awareness is key. Um, I don't want to put out the message out there like that, you know, there's a special magic pill or miracle moment where everything's just going to go away. Your disorders will go away. Mental illness will go away and everything's just sunshine and rainbows because it's, it doesn't work that way. You know, you're going to be spending the rest of your life working on it, but it gets easier because you're always supposed to be growing and evolving anyway. So back when I said, I feel like a lost soul on earth school, that's what I mean. Whatever went on in my life that made me, that tried to make me into a dark person, I've learned so much from my experiences and it's opened up my mindset in so many beautiful ways, even though they were dark moments, just beautiful ways. And I'm literally on earth just learning how to deal with this, navigate it. Maybe my purpose is to help people out there, whoever's listening and really make them aware and know like you're not alone, you know, but the overall life lesson is self-awareness. Nikki, I want to thank you immensely for this. Look, you went way beyond what you had committed for. You gave us so much information on mental health when I couldn't find anyone who wanted to publicly talk about this. You explicitly told us why is it you think that you were suffering from mental illness? What happened to you during the years that you were? Why you took things into your own hands and turned things around for yourself? And how you did it is more important. Uh, and and, uh, and Nikki, I'm so happy to see you on the other side of it. Listeners, if you want to get in touch with Nikki as she's offered, her contact information is in the show notes. Also, I hope this opens up a dialogue amongst us. We all need to talk to each other about mental health. We need to talk in our families. We need to talk in our communities. We also need to talk in our workplaces. It is a real issue. You heard the statistics. Too many people are suffering from it. So Nikki, is there a final message that you have for our listeners? Well, thank you for having me on the show. This has been an awesome talk. I feel like this is a very important topic that, you know, should be shared because a lot of people in the world, I feel like, deal with this. So uh, I feel really grateful to be able to talk to you about it. Um, and the last thing I want to leave off with all the listeners is whoever you are, wherever you are, I just want you to know whatever trauma and past bad things that happened to you, it already happened. You cannot change it. But I want every listener here to know is that you are amazing. You are loved. You are confident. You should love yourself. You did not deserve those things in the past. You deserve a great quality of life and you can achieve it because I was just this lost little kid with no guidance growing up that somehow found my way through this crazy maze, navigated through it. And if I could do it, I truly believe that anybody who might be going through something similar or, you know, anything that I spoke about, I truly believe that you can change the quality of your life. But just know that you are loved, you are not alone, and you deserve a great, great life because life can be so beautiful. I could not have ended this show with a better message. Thanks again, Nikki. Listeners, if you know anyone who will benefit from the show, please share it with them. Also, you can support this podcast further with a small monthly subscription to help sustain future episodes. This you can do by going 
to the anchor.fm link in the show notes and hitting the support button with the dollar sign on it. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy and be well.